Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Northern Wind Fantasy Podcast. My name is Zach. I'm Steve. And Jake is on vacation today, so he will not be joining us. He is off in the wilderness doing manly things. Proud of him. Uh, We're here to talk about the Stormlight Archive again. This is still uh, the first book here, The Way of Kings, and we're on chapter 22 now. Eyes, hands, or spheres. Yeah, we get to see some Alethi culture in this chapter. They're going to have a feast, uh, which is something that Dalinar is not really into. Yeah, he's, Or he uh, thinks we should be doing something else, really. It's funny how Dalinar always thinks that he hates politics, but then he's like really good at them. Yeah, a little bit of Randall Thor in there. <laughs> I don't want to play the game of houses. So this uh, starts off like two days after that embarrassing public high storm episode that Dalmar had where he freaked out in the barracks and everybody saw him freak out. So, you know, he's dealing with that. And uh, him and Adolin and Renarin are on their way to a big feast that the king is throwing. But on their way, they're having a little uh, walk and talk. Uh, Adolin is saying that he's been talking to even more leather workers and they're coming back with the same answer. They're like, I don't know, it could have been cut. It might have been cut by the buckle on there. It was pretty worn out to begin with. There's like a million ways this saddle strap could have gone out. What did you think of this when you were reading it the first time? I kind of was annoyed. I didn't expect what was going to happen, but it did seem like a red herring. I don't really remember what I thought of this, actually. It's it just weird. Yeah, it's it's strange that it just keeps happening, but I guess what it is is a setup device for what happens at the end of this chapter. But, yeah, so far... I guess I probably thought that Elokar was just being really paranoid. Yeah. I To me, once they figured out that it could have been... It, it really couldn't have been cut by anybody except for within the king's own men... I was a little suspicious of what the hell is going on here, but I'm, I'm not sure if anybody suggested at this point that he cut it himself, but no, definitely not yet. So yeah, they've pretty much like run into a brick wall here with this investigation and they're kind of ready to give up. They're like, I think Elicar is probably just crazy. So let's tell him that and it'll go great. <laughs> <laughs> And we get a little bit of Adolin talking to his father, trying to prod him into talking about his episodes, his seizure dreams. Yeah, you can tell Adolin's really worried about his old man here. It's it's kind of touching. He's like, Dad, are you sure you're okay? Like, maybe you should talk to somebody. He's like, no, I'm fine. I've never been more fine in my life, Adolin. Shut up. I'm the Blackthorn. So it's feast time now. Uh, They get to the feast. And this is like probably one of the more fantastical type scenes that we have in this book. Uh, There's they have like this big like uh, floodplain kind of that they have filled with water. And there's like these little stone islands with bridges connecting them that they're using for like dining stations. And they have all those segregated by gender and status. There's men like engaging in friendly duels when they're not eating and the women are like painting and drawing and sketching. 
Yeah, they're like having a painting contest. They're very lethy right now. This is like the pinnacle of the hoity-toity circles of lethy culture. I thought this reminded me a lot of like the kind of stuff that you would see during like the period of European history where the kings were just like balling out to each other, like Louis the Fourteenth at Versailles, just doing ridiculous shit to show off. Yeah, and especially because there aren't any lower class people here. This is definitely yeah, this an is, event for light eyes. This is all about Elicor just flexing on his high princes to show them how much wealth and power that he has with his soul casters. No, oh, Elicor, you dumb dumb. So uh, Dalinar and his sons get to the entrance and he reminds them real quick to uh, like only have one cup of alcoholic wine each. He's like, Yo, you got to stay to the codes if you're in my house or get the fuck out. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if you guys remember, but there's a book that I read. And if you don't follow it, I'll disown you. You are not allowed to have fun here. Yeah, Adolin hasn't had a duel in a long time, I think. Yeah, he's going to complain about that later, actually, to Dalinar in their conversation. He's like, hey, if you're not going to like fight these guys. Let me duel them for you so I can protect your honor because everybody's calling you a pussy, dad. You know I can do it. Just let me play or fight. I really like... Uh, so they're walking into this place and we get to experience wit once again. Yeah, they get to like... The king has the biggest and best island in the sea here and as they get up to like the entrance of his island, wit's posted up there just uh, insulting every single person that comes by. As he does. And this is actually where we get the title of the chapter. It's called uh, Eyes, Hands, or Spheres. And this is a, a joke that Wit makes about his balls. <laughs> Did you want me to try to find the joke about his balls? Yeah. Okay, here we are. Dalinar hesitated beside Wit's chair as Tasselin waddled by with a huff. Wit, Dalinar said, do you have to? Two of what, Dalinar, Wit said, eyes tinkling. Eyes, hands, or spheres. I'd lend you one of the first, but by definition, a man can only have one eye. And if that is given away, who would be wit? I'd lend you one of the second, but I fear my simple hands have been digging in the muck far too often to suit one such as you. And if I gave you one of my spheres, what would I spend the remaining one on? I'm quite attached to both my spheres, you see. He hesitated. Or, well, you can't see. Would you like to? He stood up on his chair and reached for his belt. Wit, Dalinar said dryly. <laughs> I like Wade a lot in this book. I'm yeah, not sure great. really what he's driving, you know, just everything lower. Yeah, I guess so. Right. For some reason he knows, <laughs> he knows too much, but it is worth noting. I think that he kind of like conspicuously avoids insulting Dalinar, like in between, like he insults everybody in front of Dalinar and then he pauses and he's just like, Oh, Hey, what's up Dalinar? And then he keeps insulting like everybody past Dalinar. Yeah. And is he, is he doing that to make everybody else hate Dalinar? Does he do it because he respects Dalinar? I think he probably just knows that there's enough shit talking about Dalinar happening at this party and he doesn't really need to add to it. Mm. That's a good wit. Cause right after that, he kind of pulls Dalinar aside and he's like, Hey, uh, Elkar told everybody that you wanted to stop the Vengeance Pact, and now everybody thinks you're a coward, so watch your back. I want to see Wit fight with that sword. Maybe you will someday. Hopefully. 
So uh, Dalinar is kind of hanging out, and he hear, he's listening to Wit just insult, like, all the light eyes coming up, and he hears him start to joke about Navani. And he's like, what? Navani's here? He's kind of shocked that she is, like, on the Shattered Plains to begin with, but also that she's at this party. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this was pretty cool to finally meet somebody who's really important and we've only kind of just heard about so far. It had, There was a point where they were talking to her already or were they talking, is that later when they talked to her daughter? Uh, they've definitely talked about her at this point. They might have like talked to her on a span read or something so far. That's, I what, can't remember. that's what I mean, a span read. But I, I think that might happen later when they talk to Yasna. Yeah, if you guys don't know, if you're new to the series, Navani is the mother of the king. She was married to Gavilar before he was assassinated, and Elakar is her son. So this is Dalinar's sister-in-law. Mm-hmm. And he thinks yeah, she's in, really hot. In, in a lethe culture, I believe a widow is kind of muted. They like It's not like they ignore her. I think I the, I the main thing is that uh, he's kind of supposed to treat her like a sister and he has like a really big crush on her. So it's like really awkward for him because he's like, oh, stepsister. Oh, yeah. You're <laughs> stuck in the washing machine. <laughs> I would do the respectful thing and walk away. <laughs> I mean, this is a relationship that I think would all kind of be frowned upon even in our culture. Like, if your brother's if your brother died and he started banging his wife, people would probably be a little bit weirded out by that. That's stupid. It F seems like taboos. a bigger deal for the Alethi, but yeah, it has been like ten years. It's not like Gavlar just died. I thought it was six years. You're right, six years. It's been years, so you know, a long time either way. A couple of days, let the body cool off, you know. <laughs> And he's, I think in, in his mind, he's like, I'm going to eat slow. Yeah, he comes up with this plan where he's like, uh, it's improper for Alethi women to like come sit at the table while men are eating because they have to sit at their own women's table and eat. So I'm just going to like sit here with my food and she won't be able to talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> Time it's for funny chicken. how he's like a 14 year old boy around her. And he's also playing like a political game too. He's like. I know what I know what I can do to be a shy boy and get away with it. So then we get like he's kind of just like watching her while he's eating and she's like sitting at the women's table with a bunch of flight eyed women showing off this new fabriole that she's designed. Uh, we find out this is kind of what her job is. She's an artifabrian. She comes up with new uses and new fabrioles, which are kind of like magical stormlight driven devices you know they have i think we've seen heat fabrioles they're kind of like fire spren trapped in a rock and they just make things warm you know yeah we've also seen uh the bow that the shard bow yeah the shard bow which is a fabriole so these are going to become more and more prevalent and as the series goes on you'll see them come up with like new and cooler ideas to use these fabrials for so keep an eye out for that i really think that's interesting because i don't think that was something of the past it seems like that's a new invention i'm not 100 positive if it is but 
it seems like they've kind of advanced the technology in a different way. I think that's a good assumption. We definitely haven't seen any hints of ancient fab rules at this point. So mm. it'll be like, oh, now every dark eyes can can have a shard blade, and then light eyes will be like, well, then nobody can have shard blades. <laughs> We're gonna make them illegal. If everybody has them, we'll start killing each other. <laughs> There's also a cool or a funny scene here, I guess I should say, where Navani's like showing off this Fabriel and Dalinar is like checking her out hardcore and she like looks up and smiles at him and he's like, fuck, I'm busted. <laughs> better better not eat. <laughs> so Adolin, uh, and I think Renarin's with him too, but he doesn't really say anything, come up and kind of break Dalinar's concentration while he's staring at Navani. And Adolin's like, yo, what the fuck that? Everybody says that you were trying to like end the war and go home. What are you like? Definitely a pussy. Like everybody says. <laughs> <laughs> and Dalinar is like, yes, that's actually technically true, but I'm not a pussy. I just want to like end this stupid bullshit game. And if that means that we have to like just go fuck up and kill all of the Parshendi, then I'm cool with that too. Adolin's like, I knew that you weren't quite so stupid. <laughs> He's like, my new plan is to just like stop playing the games with the gem hearts and we're just going to actually like try to win this war. Unite them. Adolin's like, okay, I can get behind that. Adolin, I, I think, gets excited here. Yeah, he's he, like, oh, that sounds badass. Let's go it, kick some ass, dude. Yeah, finally, I can kill people. That's what I do. The only hang up for this plan is that he needs to get the high princes to actually trust each other and work together or, you know, unite them. Do we know how many high princes there are? Like exact Ten, numbers? Think. Ten? Okay. Should learn their names. It's probably really important. I'm just going to guess 10 for every number because that's like the Alethi holy number or whatever. So they make everything 10. I see. Should have made it 16. Stupid is. <laughs> Stupid does. Or not Alethi. I guess that's Vorin. There's more than one Vorin culture. Alethi are just one of them. Oh, yeah. Is there 10 Vorin kingdoms? I don't know. Well, remember earlier in this book, Shalon found that book at the bookstore and mm -hmm. it was like, yeah, the 12 kingdoms. And she was like, 12, there's only 10. Uh, I don't remember that. I thought but, that was going to be so much bigger in this, in this book. But it, <laughs> didn't, it didn't really, like, I was like, wow, she just found a cool ass book. And then she like never really talked about it. You're again. talking about like the Dawn kingdoms. Is that what they call them? Maybe. But, like, it's the one that she finds at the bookstore, and it says something along the lines of, like, there being one or two more kingdoms than were believed in history. Okay. So, it's like she found a kind of, like, alternative history book, probably one that's not supposed to exist, according to people in power. I'll, I'll have to go back. And, yeah. Maybe we, uh, we were going to, like, take a small break before we start the next chapter. We'll figure it out before then. Yeah, sure. So Dalinar fucks up his plan here. Like while he was talking to Adolin, he is just kind of like munching at his food and he ends up finishing his dinner. And since he's not eating anymore, that frees up Navani to come and approach him. I like how he didn't just like grab more food. <laughs> he's just like, it's impossible now. She's coming. Well, his son called him a pussy. So, you know, he got distracted. <laughs> <laughs> he's just like brooding there, like wanting to slap. Adolin across the face. How dare you? 
What's he? I think he's drinking wine here. He's drinking like orange wine, the non-alcoholic. Yeah. Orange wine sounds delicious. We find out like later on, I, I can't remember which book it's in, but none of these are actually like wine like we would think of it. It's kind of like grain alcohol mixed with juice or something. Oh, uh, yeah. I kind of figured it was juice, juice-ish, juice-ish. They talk <laughs> about how the Shin drink wine made out of grapes and everybody thinks that's weird. It seems like the Shin do everything that's pretty normal and everybody thinks it's weird, like have yeah. grass. <laughs> So Navlani comes up and she's making small talk and Dalinar is kind of like teasing his son Adolin about having a, a million girlfriends. And he's like, that's kind of like the only thing that he's into is sword fighting and girls. And she's like, oh, Adolin, you're young. Enjoy a variety while you can. Go ahead and sleep around. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So Adolin takes off and Navani and Dalinar kind of have a little private conversation here. And he's acting super awkward around her because he's like, he likes her a lot. <laughs> he doesn't want her to know. <laughs> oh, and before Adolin left, and I think uh, Renarin is like this too. They like love Navani. They like really like her. She um, is like pretty awesome. I mean, who wouldn't yeah. like her? Well, I just mean they like kind of light up and show her a lot of affection. Yeah, they're like, oh, Aunt Navani. I'm sure they just got lots of presents from her growing up. So yeah. they're just triggered to be super <laughs> happy around her. I do love the Colin family, dude. They're pretty wholesome. Yeah. We can talk later about the dead king. I've learned some things. <laughs> uh, so let's see. Navani is kind of like skirting around the rules of propriety here by like not sitting directly at the table, but sitting near it. And Don Eleanor is like upset that she has found this way to come and talk to him because <laughs> he's embarrassed. And they have this conversation about how she's kind of worried about Elicara not being a strong leader. Like she thinks that, a, he's like super paranoid and B, he's kind of an idiot. Yeah. So she's like, Dalinar, I need you to like make sure he doesn't fuck up. We need to look out for this boy. And then she's like, oh, and the other reason I'm here. And she just kind of like stares at him and winks. And he's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Not happening. Be strong, Dalinar. Resist temptation. And while they're having this little talk, Elicar kind of gets up and makes a big announcement. And he's like, hey, everybody, I just named Sadius the High Prince of Information. And he's in charge of the investigation now, which is terrible news for Dalinar. To me, it's great news. Go figure out that stupid strap, Sadius, you fucking asshole. Well, the implication here is that Dalinar is being set up to take the blame for it. Let's see. I guess like what we know after reading this book is that Alucard did it though. So it's like, I guess Sadius will try and prove that, but then Alucard would like know that that didn't happen, you know? Yeah, but nobody else does at this point. So Dalinar is freaked out about it. Yeah. Fuck Alucard, man. He's just, he really pissed me off in this book. He is like very childish. Like, (laughs) yeah, he sounds like a a 10 year old stuck in an adult's body. I'm not sure how old he actually is, but. Which is maybe a pretty realistic portrayal of a medieval type king. You know, these guys don't really ever get told no. And sometimes they 
their dad dies and they get thrown into being a king too early. Yeah. Katie and I have been watching The Great and Peter the Third reminds me a lot of Alucard. Nice. <laughs> All right. And that's the end of that chapter. Yeah. Uh, so we leave this chapter with Dalinar being at a very low point. Uh, he's basically in pure defense mode right now. He's getting ready to try and fight off all the accusations of trying to kill Alucard that he knows are about to come. He wanted to be High Prince of War, but now Sadius is High Prince of Information and said he got played. Yeah, so we had to look this up. Uh, Shalon got that book in Carbranth from the book dealer, and it talked about five Vorn kingdoms, with, but Shalon only recognizes four Vorn kingdoms. So we were like, what is that talking about? We had to look it up on uh, the Stormlight Archive fandom wiki, which I'm just going to read for you guys. Uh, there are five kingdoms considered to be Vorn kingdoms. However, when Shalon Devar purchased this book, Eternathus, she was only familiar with four kingdoms. The known Vorn kingdoms are Yakoved, Alfkar, Karbranth, and Natanatan. The fifth is likely Emul, where the natives worship Jezrian. Sigzel says that the scholars from the four recognized Vorn kingdoms Consider the Amuli faith to be a splinter of Voronism, but the Amuli rather consider traditional Voronism to be a splinter of their religion. So there's our explanation for nice. that. I don't think that's very spoilery or anything. Uh, so now you know. I think that happens in this book, actually. So Now we all know. We're all wiser and smarter. Because we read Wikipedia. <laughs> okay uh chapter 23 many uses this is a great title uh the many uses of course refers to the many uses for chaldung in uh culinary pursuits Gross. <laughs> uh we start off with bridge four out on stone gathering duty they're enacting their plan from the last Kaladin chapter we had uh, all of the bridgemen are out gathering rocks that the soul casters will later use to turn into grain or whatever supplies they need for the army. But while everybody else is out just picking up stones are the three guys that are in on the plan here, Kaladin and Rock and Teft, are gathering knobweed, which will be a valuable anesthetic for them to use to keep people from getting gangrene and such. Yeah, and Syl is actually making herself seen by Rock so that she can help him find. Yeah, the they figure out pretty quickly that Syl can kind of like get around faster than them while she's flying. So she kind of searches from above and looks for clusters of knotweed, and then she leads Rock to the the patches, and they scoop him up and bring him back, and then Calden hides him under the wagon. He's got kind of like this little. Under the wagon bag where the axle is, he has a little spot where he's stashing these bundles and tying them all together so they can go back and get them later when they get back to camp. I'm surprised that throughout the book, they never got caught pretty much in any of their being sneaky. <laughs> but I guess that's the point, right? They've been sneaking this whole time. So that's why they're I not getting caught. Calden points out that I think in this chapter, even that the, the light eyes are probably also just like too apathetic about the Bridgman to like really give a shit what they're up to. Yeah, but he's being careful. Like, what could they possibly be doing that could be a threat to us? What are they going to do? Develop magic powers? And it really isn't. A th <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Idiot. So uh, while 
this is going on, we get a couple interesting interactions. Uh, it seems everybody in Bridge 4 is pretty pissed at Kaladin about getting them stuck with this extra work because they don't really know that it's a secret plan to help them out. <laughs> yeah, and that, that goes on for a while. It isn't until like later in the book when he starts training them with spears. Basically, when he does his spear dance is when they finally go like, oh, yeah, maybe we should listen to this idiot, guy. But, yeah. Cal's pretty frustrated that they're not really buying into his like new worldview. And he thinks like maybe he's only given them half the the equation here. Like he's like, um, I can save their lives, but I have to make their lives worth living in order for them to want their lives saved. So we got to figure out something to make their lives better. And then they'll want to be saved. So later on, under cover of dark, Cal, Taft, and Rock sneak back into the wagon yard and they split up and they put a big X mark under the wagon to like mark the one that they were using. So they all check all the 30 wagons underneath for that X mark. And when they find it, they grab the goods and take off. But like while they're, while they're on their way, we get a pretty good interaction with uh, Taft here. Do you want to read this one, Steve? Sure. This is uh, Taft is thinking about backing out of the whole nighttime sneaky operation because he doesn't want to get caught. I don't like this, Taft said, glancing over his shoulder at the group of soldiers. I'm going back to camp. You will be staying, Rock growled. Taft rolled his eyes. You think I'm scared of a lumbering chawl like you? I'll go if I want to, and Teft, Calton said softly, we need you, need. That word had strange effects on men. Some ran when you used it, others grew nervous. Teft seemed to long for it. He nodded, muttering to himself, but stayed with them as they went on. I thought that I was really Teft. nice. Yeah. Sometimes people just need to feel like they're part of something, you know? Well, I, I'm assuming that we'll... And, and we do learn more and more about Tef's background throughout the story. And I, I really hope that we can get more in depth into his background because it seems like he's pissed about his history. And this is, this is all him kind of like making up for that bad karma, it seems. And, and he really thinks that like, it, it almost feels like it's destiny for Teft. And I, I think we'll get like more into that later, but, Right now, it's kind of up in the air. Yeah. So uh, they make it out of the wagon yard, and I think that they have like 20 bundles of weeds about as thick as a handspan. So that's a significant amount of knobweed. And Yeah, I think they did a good job. I mean, it's mostly because of Sill. Oh, yeah, definitely. Helps to have magic. I mean, that makes everything easier. Yeah. So on the way back, they stop like around the back of a, a bar and they steal a bunch of glass bottles and then they head back to the bridge or sorry, the chasm where Kaladin almost killed himself earlier. And he has like a little reflection. He's like, if I, f if I fail to save the bridgeman, that wretch will take control again. This time he'll get his way. That gave Kaladin a shiver. So he's kind of reflecting like my whole existence depends on me saving these people so I better not fail <laughs> <laughs> yeah and this is a good way for the story to develop so they're actually doing something so there's a reason for them to be talking trying to fill the void yeah 
So they're all sitting around in a circle, milking these knobweed reeds into uh, glass bottles so they can use it later, talking about their lives or what their lives used to be. And this is where we get Rock's backstory, which is great. I fucking love this. Yeah, the Ukaliki people have no shards. And so he traveled with his master. Yeah, uh, I think he says it's his cousin. Uh, and in the Horn Eater culture, the relatives of a noble person are his servants. And I, I can't remember, does his cousin die in this duel? Yeah. Okay. Sadius kills the shit out of him. And it's too bad he fought Sadius. <laughs> I guess like Sadius is probably one of the weaker shard bearers. I definitely wouldn't fight the Blackthorn. I don't think there's any such thing as a weak shard bearer. True. Somebody has to be worse at it. Yeah, but that's still like the worst shard bearer is still worth like a thousand men. <laughs> yeah. So obviously he loses against Sadius and the whole scheme here is that the Ukulaki just keep like sending people to dual shard bearers and they bet like all of their worldly possessions, including their servants against the fact that if they win, they get to have the, the shards. So when he loses, uh, rock becomes a servant of Sadius and he hates him. Yeah. Cause he killed his cousin. So obviously, well that, and I think he thinks Sadius is a piece of shit. Sadius is a piece of shit. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's fair. I'm not saying that rock is wrong, but <laughs> you know, rock seems to hold to certain traditions, almost all traditions in his culture strictly. Yeah. So for, so for him to do this to Sadius, must have like really, he must have been elevated, you know, like he, he like really doesn't want to break his own codes, but for some reason he's like, you know, I hate Sadius so much, I'm going to feed this guy poop. <laughs> and while he's telling this story, there's an interesting sidebar between Kaladin and Teft where Kaladin's like, he's lucky he didn't win because he wouldn't have got those shards anyhow. <laughs> and Teft's yeah, like, and this no, that's what we... they do when you, when you win, they give them to you. Yeah. I mean, we find out later, like, what Kaladin's talking about. And Kaladin also, like, fucked up, in my opinion. Not, I guess it's because he still trusted yeah. um, the light eyes. But I, I'm not saying that Kaladin got what he deserved in any way. But it's just like, you know, you had an opportunity to, like, have the weapon and you let a lesser person have it. So... So I have this cool quote here that I thought is pretty interesting. Kaladin says, tradition is the blind witness they use to condemn us, Teft. It's the pretty box they use to wrap up their lies. It makes us serve them. I love how Kaladin is like so fucking edgy, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like they're like sitting on the edge of where he almost committed suicide. And he's like, I don't, I don't trust anything or ever. And then Teft is like, I lived a lot longer than you, son. I know things. If a common man killed an enemy shard bearer, he'd become a light eyes. That's the way of it. And maybe in Kaladin's like own right, he kind of did that day. You know, he definitely got scars on his forehead. And at this point, like we know all of Rock's backstory, you know, he served Sadius. Uh, man, I should have got the quote for this. Let me fucking pull this up. I just want to hear him talk about serving Sadius poop because if anybody deserves to eat poop, it's fucking Sadius. So here's Rock talking about how he got 
uh, demoted to bridge duty from cook. I fixed him one meal and he sent me to bridge cruise. Rock hesitated. I may have uh, enhanced the soup. Enhanced, Calden asked, raising an eyebrow. Rock seemed to grow embarrassed. You see, I was quite angry about my new Atoma's death. And I thought, these lowlanders, their tongues are all scorched and burned by the food they eat. They have no taste, and... And what, Calden asked. Chaldung, Rock said. It apparently has stronger taste than I assumed. Wait, Teft said. You put Chaldung in High Prince Sadius's soup? Er, yes, Rock said. Actually, I put this thing in his bread, too, and used it as a garnish on the pork steak, and made a chutney out of it for the buttered grams. Chaldung, it has many uses, I found. <laughs> so that's the title of the uh, chapter here many uses and after we get that story they love that too everybody asks Kaladin to share his backstory and he doesn't really want to so he just tells them that he killed somebody and acts, acts like super edgy again <laughs> <laughs> I killed can't trust man, anyone but not the man they wanted me to well he says I killed a man and I was and they were happy about it. Oh, but he says they didn't. Um, they didn't like that he didn't accept their gift. Edgy as fuck, Calvin. Yeah, geez, man. Just answer the question. So many things would just like work out if you just. He's not ready. Were a yet. normal person. He'll tell them in good time, you know. Willie, though, it'll be like Tef dying in his arms, and he'll be like, "I just wanted to tell you a story," and then Tef <laughs> dies. Like, wow. All right. Uh, that's the two chapters that we were going to talk about today. So any final thoughts? No, I don't think so. I mean, like these chapters are really good for story development. They weren't boring. I mean, we got wit. We got to hear about dung in, in Sadius's food. And that's all you really need. Yeah. We're starting meeting to get, Navani was cool. Sorry. What was that last one? Uh, meeting Navani was cool. Oh yeah. Yeah. I like Navani. She's going to become, she's one of my favorite characters. So I think you'll probably like her a lot too. I also like getting to know these bridgemen a little bit better. Teft and Rock are starting to really come into their own here. Yeah. So we have five more chapters in part two of the book. That is correct. Uh, we're almost done with this part. And then we have, what, two more parts? <laughs> part four is short and part five is a little longer. <coughs> part five is a lot of action. So part part three is long, though. It'll probably take us a little little bit to get through that we're getting there guys when do we want to do warbreaker you read warbreaker already do we want to do that after this whole thing's done oh wow so in like three months (laughs) it's gonna take us a long time to finish this yeah i don't think we're gonna do chapter by chapter on warbreaker we're just gonna do one episode on it so maybe we can knock that out before we start doing all these tv shows in like two months yeah i'd be content with doing it in the next probably like four weeks or something like that. I don't want to like forget anything. I, I did really like the book. It was a bit uh, long, but. You think Warbreaker was long compared to this one? <laughs> I think more things happen in, in these books than in Warbreaker. Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, like there's, I can, there's a character that's a complaint of Soros Rex in Warbreaker that I like made fun of the entire book. So <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can do that when Jay comes back from vacation on Sunday. We'll talk about Warbreaker. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. The character's just like, oh, my life should have been different. I was like, okay, <laughs> we know, we all know. Okay. 
All right, you want to close this out? Yeah, thanks for joining us, guys. This has been a Three Rivers Boys production. I'm Zach. I'm Steve. And Jake is here with us in spirit, uh, commuting from the woodlands. He will return for our next episode, I think. Read more books. Yeah, don't forget to follow us on Twitter. We are at Three Rivers Boys with the three spelled out. See you next time, guys. Bye.